Groucho Marx famously quipped that he wouldn't want to belong to any club that would have him as a member. Which brings me to my friend and co-host, comedian and Mad Magazine senior editor emeritus Joe Rayola. Now that the Zen community he's been spending time with wants him to formally join up, should Joe, who says joining's never really been part of his brand, get out while the getting's good? I'm Rod Mead Sperry. Welcome to episode five of After the Laundry, The Misery. How are you, my friend? I am well, all things considered. You've considered all things? <laughs> You've got them all down? Well, I want to talk about whether or not you really have all things considered. You've been spending a lot of time at Zen Mountain Monastery in Mount Tremper, New York, for what? better part of 10 years now, right? That is true. I actually did my uh, introduction to Zen training with John Dido Laurie not long before he died. Mm-hmm. I think I probably was there for one of the last weekends, the, one of the last introductory uh, weekends that Dido led, and that would probably be, I don't know, 2007, something like that. It was a while ago. So now you kind of come and gone. You've been deeply involved in your way. But there's been a shift very recently, has there not? I mean, you told me that there is. I know that there is. Well, tell me about this shift, though. Well, you know, what's happened for me recently in, I'm going to call it my Zen practice, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit that I have some form of a Zen practice. What's happened for me is that the fact that I'm a non-formal student has been called to my attention in various ways. What do you mean by non-formal student? Well, the, just just that. Um, at, uh, at Zen Mountain Monastery, which is the home of Mountain and Rivers Order, uh, they welcome people like me to come and practice with, with them, uh, although they also uh, offer the opportunity for one to become a formal student. And I think it's probably somewhat unusual for a person to be as involved as I have been for as long as I have been to not be a formal student. And the fact that I'm not a formal student has kind of been called to my attention, both socially and in in face-to-face teaching. And really, I'm not supposed to talk about face-to-face teaching. Isn't that kind of a rule? That, uh, you know, what, what, what happens in, it's called Dokasan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the face-to-face teaching between the, the uh, teacher and the student. What happens in Dokasan remains in Dokasan. It's kind of like Vegas. Right. Um, you're not supposed to talk about it. I'm a non-formal student, and, I'm, and I started the question, do I want to continue this non-formal student thing? Am I being, uh, am I getting a different kind of teaching because I'm a non-formal student? It occurred to me that I very well might be in a sense because it would be normal, right, for any teacher to, to, uh, to relate to a formal student differently from a non-formal student. Do I want to officially join the group? And it's, it's an interesting question for me because years ago, against my better nature, I found myself actually thinking, do I, want, do I want to go the formal route here? And I say it goes against my nature because I've long uh, felt, I think I said to you on the very first podcast that we did, that I've, I've long believed that uh, a, a, when it comes to 
issues of politics and, and religion that a the person should remain independent. And you chuckled at that. You said, right. I kind of like that. I do. No, I feel like that that worldview is, is being challenged somewhat now. Mm. Um, is this stance of mine preventing me from growing or evolving in a way that might be in my best interest? Why not be a formal student at, uh, at the Zen Mountain Monastery? I've been going there for over 10 years. I, I love the people. I love being there. I like being part of the Sangha. Why not officially join? My guess is I'd be welcomed. What the hell? Why not? Well, one thing that you said to me in a call that we didn't record where we were just talking, you said something like that joining, at least up to now, hasn't exactly been part of your brand. Well, yes, 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 right. If I join, people might start referring to me as a, a, a Buddhist. I'd rather be a Buddhist in, in denial, part of me thinks. It sounds like a book, doesn't it? A Buddhist in denial. It does. Um, I have a certain resistance, I'll, I'll admit it, and I'm sitting with that. I'm suspicious of groups, you know, I'm suspicious of religious groups. And I'm, I'm not really su suspicious of the monastery at all. I think it's a very healthy group, actually, uh, or I wouldn't be, be hanging out there so often and, and practicing there as I am. Yet at the same time, you know, groups, groups, religious groups and and group think, and even if it's an in inspiring individual thought, I was at the Jukai ceremony recently, and there was a part in the ceremony about anger, and the the student uh, in, in, in accepting the precepts was required to say, I will not be angry. And you and I have talked about that in a previous podcast. And I thought, I will be angry. I don't want to say that. I'm not accepting these precepts because I don't want to say that. Or I'm not accepting them here because I don't want to say that. I've already been through the game of reciting prayers that I don't believe when I was a boy. The Our Father and the Hail Mary and all that. And the Apostles' Creed, which was the worst of them all. I'm not into reciting things in religious ceremonies that rub me the wrong way. How convinced are you? It sounds like you are, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. That Zen Buddhism is a religion. It's an interesting question, of course. It's been hotly debated. I think it's a religion. How could it not be a religion? It's got the smoke and the costumes and the liturgy and the books. So so do magic shows. Not liturgy and sacred texts. I suppose. Might, a magician might quote Kreskin, but probably not the Buddha. Does the fact that it's non-theistic help assuage your poor, addled Catholic heart? Well, you know that about me. It's the only reason that I can be there because, you know, I don't have to bring God into the Zendo with me and there's little or no talk about God there. But still, this question about joining remains and um you know i'm going through a process where i really i'm thinking i'm reconsidering it you know and that was really what i did when i was in in college when i reconsidered christianity uh when i was a, a freshman at adelphi university and this goes back a long way back to 1973 my roommate was in the process of becoming a reborn christian and i knew a bunch of guys who were 
accepting Jesus as their savior. And I had left the Catholic church as soon as I could, like when I was 12. And I found myself thinking, do I want to be a Christian? Do I really should pay attention to this? I should really examine whether I want to follow Jesus and accept Jesus as my Lord and, and savior. And I started hanging out with reborn Christians and going to their meetings. And it didn't take long for me to determine, no, I wanted nothing, <laughs> nothing to do with that. It was an easy call, but I took the time to think about it. I found myself doing that at Zen Mountain Monastery a couple of years ago during the time when there was a, a lot of, I don't want to say controversy, but let's say that the monastery had its own scandal regarding uh, the then abbot at the monastery and my good friend, I will say, Ryushin Markai, who had an affair and ended up resigning as the abbot of the monastery. And it threw the community into a difficult period for a while. And I said to myself, you know what, self? I'm glad I'm not a formal student. I'm glad I could have a foot out of this and a foot in it. And it reminded me of the experience I had at the Kripalu Yoga Center when it was an ashram and the guru, it was, it was discovered that the guru was having his dick sucked by students. Not that there was anything like that happening at the Zen Mountain Monastery. I want to be clear on that. But, you know, I saw the Kripalu community just break apart, crumble, disintegrate. And I thought, wow, I'm glad I'm not a formal part of this. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying this is the healthiest attitude. It it may not be. How about you? Are you a member of a group? Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a formal member. Or I'm a board member. And how do you like that? I like it a lot. The priest who leads the community is somebody who is uh, just a model of decency and good humor and morality. I've known him for since I more or less since I've landed in Canada no um, off-putting sense of preciousness. Right. He's a good friend. He's a good person. He's a good community leader. And he certainly knows his Dharma teachings. He's a wonderful Dharma teacher. And accordingly, he's built up a community around him that I'd say mirrors those qualities. Not too precious. Lots of good, healthy inquiry. Lots of wholesomeness, but not goody-goodiness. And it rubs me the right way, particularly because I need that for my practice. Right. I am not the kind of person who is going to practice with all due diligence all the time without a community. And uh, I love them. Me too. Uh, I, I share, by the way, pretty much all of your feelings about the community at the Zen Mountain Monastery. And I would say the same things about the teachers there that you've said about your, your teacher. They have great in integrity and they're smart and funny and humble and inspirational. They're all those things. One of the really th uh, impressive things, I think, about the uh, community as a Zen Mountain Monastery is how they navigated the challenges presented when the abbot Ryushin left. They really navigated those challenges with a lot of transparency and a lot of heart, at least from what i could see and they, mm. and they've come they've come through it strong there are some healthy changes over there with women uh rising to positions of influence and and authority which i think is a very healthy thing so i really love being part of this community and one thing you said really resonated with me which is the kind of strength that 
I get uh, practicing with a community. I meditate more and I think meditate in a more focused manner because of the community that I feel part of. So, you know, there's something kind of hypocritical <laughs> about my approach to this, perhaps. How so? Well, I want to be part of it, but at the same time, I want a little bit of a distance. I, I, I don't mm. want to be full in in some way. The thing about it is I do want to be full in, but I want to be full in in terms of my practice. I don't know if I want to be full in in terms of being identified that formally with a community. And that's the very question that's up for me. I never went into meditation with the idea of, it, of getting a, a robe, you know, and uh, being part of a group. And yet I haven't dismissed the idea because I may come to the conclusion that, that really that's the path for me, which would be totally shocking. <laughs> it would be totally shocking for a person who doesn't consider himself religious in any formal way. But the, uh, but the allure here is that powerful that I am considering it. Hmm. Let's back up just a little bit. You just mentioned a robe. I want to clarify this for people who are listening, because, for example, when I first started with my very first Zen community, I took the Jukai or precept ceremony and sewed a, a rakusu, which is the sort of bib-like garment that we often see Zen people wearing, which is sort of representative of the Buddha's robes or, and, or, or Buddhist robes. Um, it, it is considered to be robes, but it is not. It is basically this thing you wear around your neck. You are talking about, though, actually sewing a robe that you would wear over your whole body, which also I have been pretending to sew, as I told you, well, for a couple of years now. I don't think it's my, my understanding, which, by the way, is limited. I don't think one sews a robe, one purchases a robe. Oh, you're purchasing a robe. Oh, lucky you. In my community, you're sewing that robe, baby, <laughs> which is why it's taken me two years to even get oh, make a dent in this boy. thing. Because I don't like to sew. That's really, that's highly unappealing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. It's the one the one thing that I'm having a hard time with. But, you know, I want to go back to something you said before, which I think is is part of the appeal and also part of the trap. You, you said okay. many nice things about your teacher. And I reflected back to you. I feel the same way about the teachers at, at the Zen Mountain Monastery. Yep. It's great and important to have teachers. That said, teachers fail all sure. the time. And, of course, that's what makes teachers human, that they, that they fall short. And what happens in religious com communities, I'm going to say in particularly religious communities at is that teachers and roshis and and priests and popes and and cardinals and bishops are elevated and seen through a distorted lens and are assigned way way too much power and way way too much influence i i think that the, the attraction to the teacher is is fraught with peril be, because it's it's the practice itself that that needs to call one forth most vibrantly, right? Not the teacher. If you know that, then you know all you need to know. And I say this with a great deal of respect, particular for many teachers, particularly the teachers who have molded my mind in some degree. 
the teacher is a temporary condition. Yes. The teacher is the holder of that seat. The Dharma is the only thing, you know, if anything is permanent, and well, though I don't even want to get into that whole thing. <laughs> but the, the Dharma, let's just say that the Dharma is the real deal, and the teacher is just a way in. And when the teacher drops dead, there will be another one, hopefully. Right. So if you realize the teacher is fallible and that the, and it's the practice that is calling you forth, as you say, all you got to do is go with that and understand that the teacher is a wonderful blessing and helpful tool while you have access to that person. But at some point, that person won't be there right. unless you drop dead first and you've got to can be able to continue on. This is how one practices with a teacher, if you ask me. You make the most of it, and you don't make more of them than they are. That sounds like a very healthy approach. I'm, I'm going back, I'm flashing back to my experience at Kripalo when that community fell apart. There were pictures of the guru everywhere, on every floor, behind every desk, on every desk, in the gift shop, you could buy photographs of the guru. In the lounge, there were photographs of the guru. On the altars, there were photographs of the guru. The guru was adored. This was bhakti yoga, you know, all hail to the guru. And Kripalu was hardly the only place where this kind of guru worship was going on. And at its core, this was a very unhealthy thing. Sure. Only emphasized by the fact that the guru was an utter hypocrite who was having his dick sucked by students while other students were being thrown out of the ashram for having consensual sex with another student, which was breaking the law there. This is what was going on there. Now, the Buddhist model seems to me considerably more healthy. There are no photographs of the Zen teachers all over the Zendo or at the monastery, at the Zen Mountain Monastery. Um, still, th there is this power that we transfer to teachers that we have to be careful of. I love how you put it, your approach to the whole uh, teacher-student relationship seems very wise. Do you think it's doable? Well, you're... In the middle of it, what say you? I think it's very doable. As Soko Morinaga famously said uh, in his wonderful book, Novice to Master, an ongoing lesson in the extent of my own stupidity. Ah. Nobody can piss for you. This practice is all, it's on you. What you right. do with this, it's, this is your thing. You can practice or you can say you're going to practice. But if you don't, that's all on you. The teacher's not letting you down you're letting you down. If the teacher has any, you know, real value, the teacher is pointing the way, but lots of things point the way. You're, it's not like you become useless when the teacher is out of the picture. And in fact, I, I've seen a lot of people really destroyed by the loss of the teacher in their spiritual practice in their community. Uh, the teacher um, disrobes or dies or has a scandal and suddenly it's gone. And then you see a community really flittering about with the winds, not really able to survive that. That's a, you don't have to relate to it that way. 
when you speak of self-reliance, you are speaking, at least for me, of the greatest appeal uh, of Zen and also the thing that's most annoying about it. But <laughs> both. Because the, the highest part of myself resonates with that whole self-reliance stuff. And it's why I bristle at the Christian tradition, this idea of a savior, I find somewhat unhealthy that someone's going to save me. And all I have to do is accept the savior and hey, I'm done. So I, I am attracted strongly to, to the idea of self-reliance. On the other hand, it truly is a pain in the ass. I would much rather someone do it for me. Sure. And not reflect back to me that, oh, I'm responsible for my own salvation. Well, thanks a lot, buddy. I'm with you all the way. That sounds really nice. But I have seen in my own life essentially no evidence that it's possible. So <laughs> that only leaves alternative paths. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No evidence that what's possible? That somebody's going to come along and save me. Ah. If, if you're going to tell me that if I accept Jesus or the flying spaghetti monster, I'll be saved. I mean, that's a compelling argument, but I don't see any proof. I think in Zen, the proof is in the practice. There is just practice. That's kind of all there is. That's a pretty good deal. I guess this is, it's as good as it gets. Well, I guess that's true. The idea of practice is also somewhat amusing to me because at the Zen Mountain Monastery, one doesn't even rest. It's called rest practice. Even resting. <laughs> is a practice and i think holy shit can i get a rest from practice it's a bit much i think you would do well to say wow i get to rest while i practice i got to rest while i practice i'll have to sit with that one that sounds like a bit of a sounds like a bit of a cone there for me i'll but i'll 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 take that on yeah i like the idea i like this concept of practice and bringing that into my life more broadly like to think of it as a comedy practice or my uh my uh marriage or any friendship as a relationship practice i kind of like that idea because it changes the approach i'll say something else one of the reasons i love spending time at the monastery it's not unlike spending time in the wilderness i mean what's the whole key about being in the wilderness why does one go into the wilderness for a day or a week what's the what's the point of it well it's a transformational thing one goes into the wilderness and has an experience and emerges different than how one went into the wilderness something's happened what lasting impact does it have well for me it's always been about taking the wilderness back into the city taking something essential from nature back with me into my city life a way of being, a way of looking at the world and all that. Well, I think of my time at the monastery the same way. It, it, it's a, yes, it's a formal environment and it's in some ways an odd environment. It's very scheduled. It's very segmented. The quote unquote real world doesn't function that way. Yet I leave the monastery after two or three days or a week of practice different than when I arrived. And the key to me is about bringing some of that back to quote unquote ordinary life, ordinary mind. It impacts my life in a positive way beyond the boundaries of the monastery itself. 
So there's lots of reasons to continue there. Are there any reasons? Could you say for sure, this is a reason for me to not join? Not a potential reason, like no. I don't. Well, that's interesting. No, I can't say there's a reason. I, I have to. I have to begrudgingly admit that I remain open to joining. <laughs> that I remain well, open. You're the, no. you're the kind of person I would like to have you join my sangha, you know? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's a, I'd want you to be part of the club because you wouldn't want to be totally there. <laughs> you know, because, I, you know, I, I love what's happening there and, and, I, and I sense that deeply it's a positive thing for me, you know, what's so wrong about peace, love, and understanding? Is that the Elvis Costello song? Um, what's so funny about, yeah. What's so funny about peace, peace, love, and understanding? I mean, there ain't nothing wrong with love and kindness, and that's the heart of the practice, I think. And we certainly ha seem to have a pretty big shortage of that always. And there's nothing about that that uh, needs to be connected to any particular religion per per se so why join but maybe joining is the most powerful way to embody that so to quote donald trump we'll have to see <laughs> he says that a lot we'll have to see we'll have to see yeah we'll have to see oh. yeah but you know that he's saying that because he has no intention of seeing do you have any intention of seeing about joining or are you hoping to put this one off I am going to continue to sit with this question and uh, continue to spend some time with 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 my friends and even the people who are not my friends yet uh, at the Zen Mountain Monastery in Mount Tremper. It really is a, a wonderful place and a rare place here in I was going to say the Northeast, but in fact, it's a rare place here in the United States. There are not many places in America like the Zen Mountain Monastery. In other words, we'll have to see. <laughs> and on that note. Until next time, visit joerayola.com for more from Joe. And for more from me, check out I Want to Be Well, How a Punk Found Peace and You Can Too, the new book by teenage bottle rocket bassist Miguel Chen and myself. I'm Rod Mead Sperry. Thanks for listening to After the Laundry, The Misery.